1: From John and waiting where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, yeah, this thing might blow. Everything you hear opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the Forbes and let them know. Let them
2: know. Hey, Darby, it's Jeff. I've got an idea for the match tonight. What are you thinking, Jeff? I'm thinking chairs. Welcome to rewind a dynamite, everybody. I am John Pollock, along with waiting
0: Hmm, yes yes great grateful to um to have a job where I get to sit down on a chair and talk into a microphone uh instead of wrestling anything goes matches there was something of those too.
2: There was something poetic about watching this match at the same time that Andrew Yang is tweeting about how wrestlers and fighters need unions and protection. <laughs> it was just quite the uh, the juxtaposition. Uh, watching that match, right, as a uh, Andrew Yang is uh, talking about uh, such a such a subject. But, dude, I, I, uh, I will let everyone in on on a secret. And way way you know this, I am a very uh, introverted person. When I don't have a microphone in front of me, I'm very quiet. Dude, I, I gasped so goddamn loud when this <laughs> swanton spot happened. Like, I thought my wife was going to run down thinking I had, like, pulled, like, Which, uh, fell off the ch- couch or something.
0: Well, well, first of all, the exact same thing happened to me. Oh. I was watching my my wrestling downstairs, and my wife comes down. And she's, he, she's like, Why are you screaming so much? And I, want, which Swanton were you talking about, John? I'm because-
2: talking about the, the Darby Swanton onto the eight chairs mm-hmm. that like it desensitized me to the point that when Jeff did his Swanton, I was like uh, like that, that was crazy in and of itself. But after I watched the Darby one, like I seriously thought I was about to watch this man like just uh, paralyze himself. Well, they both made me gasp
0: you know, oh, equally dang. because one was, you know, one was done by a 20 something year old. The other was done by a 40 something year old who's gone through everything with that poor body.
2: I am so, more scared watching Jeff Hardy today than I am watching Sting doing any of this stuff. And the dude's got spinal stenosis.
0: I I I pray for both those guys. Um, man. It, it was an incredible match. But, but God, like it was definitely one of those matches where I'm like you know i, I know the,
2: everyone's gonna say they love this match because you know knock on wood they they were fine but dude did it was too much to me and i just feel like we're gonna sound like such hypocrites the day something happens and we talk about how dangerous this shit is and just one bad landing and someone it, god knows what happens to them and then we have this whole look at all of this stuff that we celebrate in the moment and I just I don't know it goes to such an extent in a match like this that like I'm watching like with bated breath that these guys are going to get up from this the, the latest stunt. Mhm, yeah. It's it's not my enjoyment level of what I get out of professional wrestling. I totally understand those that think such a spectacular thing you marvel at it. It's spectacular. Like it looks it's breathtaking. At the same time it's like it's not what I watch wrestling for where I'm legitimately fearful of Uh, of someone going down and not being able to get up uh by by their own power
0: for me it's it's more about the precedent that it sets and i mean we are talking about jeff hardy here you know like somebody who's responsible very much for somebody like a darby allen modeling uh his current style the way that it is taking risks the way that they are and if we're giving these types of matches away on tv what are the expectations for the next generation to try to top it um, and you know, like even just for a Jeff Hardy himself at age 40, you know, looking to top something like this, it's, uh, it's, those are the, con- like, I definitely, of course, enjoyed the match in the moment, but I mean, I can't help covering this stuff, doing my job, thinking about the repercussions of, you know, um, this style, it, I it definitely felt like a bit too much at times tonight.
2: Yeah. So we will, we will get into all of that. There is a, a ton going on. And I know that, uh, you and Kate will be doing the, the new show on Thursday. So we won't go uh, too heavily into things, but just a few things off the top. Um, first of all, Deadline has reported that Brett Weitz, who was the general manager of TNT, TBS and True TV and very instrumental in the whole development of AEW and the expansion of AEW related programming, uh, he is essentially out. From that general manager role seems to be a casualty of the Warner Media Discovery merger. And Deadline was the one that reported this, uh, noting that he is leaving as GM of TNT, TBS, and True TV. He'll be transitioning out of the role over the next 30 days, with his last day marking his 14th anniversary on the TNets, as they call them. Uh, White's his departure comes week, weeks after this, the Discovery Warner Media merger was completed, as his position has been eliminated following the restructure of the US Networks Group Division. And a lot of this is more so just just focused on his uh his involvement um just across all of those networks but specifically they do bring up like aew he was also involved in the wipeout series featuring john cena so again i i don't know how much you read into this of of what it means but you know much like when kevin Riley left the network uh, this is a aew ally that you always want to have on the network side and when there's a merger um, there, there's always going to be uh, those questions. You would think AEW is on pretty solid ground, um, but but it's a new story nonetheless that somebody instrumental in AEW's uh, tenure on the network is now out.
0: Yeah, it is relevant, you know. Um, I I think you look at the the results and the ratings that AEW has been providing for the T Nets, as they say. Um, and you wouldn't think that anything would possibly happen, but the difference is that we are talking about professional wrestling, and. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, um, historically, it seems to have, um, a, a bit of a reputation stuck to it that some, uh, executives may like and some exe- executives may totally not understand. I would hope that, you know, 20 years now deep into like, you know, this the past, uh, uh, WCW, um, that ad- attitudes towards it have changed. And again, I, I think you look at the ratings and how can anything else, but you know, um, how can, how can Turner look at anything but, uh, with, look at AEW with anything but like, you know, uh, success and, and, and how, how could they not covet what they have on their hands? But you really never know. And, and of course, when the, it comes to
2: the WCW story, I mean, I, I think it's much different this time around, but I mean, ratings were certainly on the side of WCW even, even at the end.
0: I think more, more importantly, when it comes to renegotiation, and if you listen to Tony Khan's interviews today, you know, him talking about possibly trying to bring, bring an ROH on. How much would it would be too much wrestling for uh, perhaps a new new general manager, um, you know, that they, they might feel they would be adding towards the uh, portfolio? Yeah. Know. So,
2: uh, yeah, again, this it like it, it's it's worth bringing up, of course, it could be something big, could be something small, could be nothing. Um, that's and, you know, with the upfronts coming up, there's an expectation that like AEW will be uh, a part of that. And I guess we will see, like, you know, if as they are selling um, their their fall schedule, if AEW is kind of a big part of that or even even a a minimum part of that, uh, I think that puts them in good standing when you look at. How they're performing? I mean, we look at you know the NBA playoffs. Like TNT has the NBA playoffs, and they've got AEW. So some of these nights, it's like, man, AEW is giving us another. It's like we may have uh our Lewis Hamilton, but AEW is our Valtteri Bottas. Uh, to go back to our earlier discussion today, as long as you have like uh, a solid number two driver, we know who the number one is. But hey, we, we want to have a sizable number two as well right
0: right and if you're the number two what is your negotiation power that's, that's right question
2: Yes, is there going to be a Red Bull that comes into into play that wants to negotiate? Will uh, Will a Renault want to talk to AEW? These are all questions um, that are uh, at the top of everyone's mind. Uh, Tony Khan also uh, he did an interview over at TSN.ca, and uh, this was a pretty newsworthy interview. Sometimes with Tony Khan, like um, it's it, it ranges. Like he will be doing a lot of media where it's it's promotion, uh, but sometimes he, he drops like a lot of things. This TSN.ca interview, I would definitely encourage people to check out. Noted, like not to expect Bret Hart coming in anytime soon, so I I don't think he will be part of this Owen Hart presentation at all at Double or Nothing. Uh, He also stated that when it comes to All Out uh, over Labor Day weekend. He said, we're going to talk more about that. But I think one thing for sure is that from the beginning, Chicago has been an awesome market for AEW and I'm excited about doing lots of shows there. I think All Out is the biggest show we've ever done so far before on pay-per-view. And it's another one of our landmark events where we've reached our highest highs so far. We've got a great history there at the Now Arena, formerly the Sears Center in Hoffman Estates near Schaumburg. I think we can continue that potentially, but on the other hand, there's a lot of places around the world where All Out would be a great show, and we're going to continue exploring options there. He went on to say, I really want to get up to Toronto, and now I think travel restrictions, hopefully, will continue to ease and make it much more possible to bring in such a large crew of people, not just wrestlers, staff, and coaches, but so many people involved in the production and backstage. With the travel and logistics involved, it's far more manageable. I think today... Then as compared to six months ago or a year ago, Um, I guess saying it's much easier. So hopefully soon we can get up to Toronto and also confirm Dave Meltzer's report that the Trios championships uh have been made uh, and apparently were made a long time ago. And he also threw in a tease that there are other championships that I have had made that nobody knows about. So very secretive. This office he's just got uh in his lockbox, I guess, just an endless supply of championships when, when needed. So that that is at the top of everyone's want is a. Uh, more titles on this show, so.
0: Whatever. Sure. Why not? Uh, every match can be for a championship. But, yeah, I, you know, obviously, personally, selfishly, um, the the most in, in interesting nugget of information is the potential Toronto date. Um, and so he's, hit, he's saying that all out might not be Chicago, but not confirming I, that.
2: Yeah, didn't outright state that. But I certainly read this to be that, you know, I, I am not. Marking all out for Chicago. It really sounds like they are looking at other places for that. It's the most uh, clear answer I, I can take from that.
0: The weather is decent in Toronto in September around Labor Day. It's not That's so right.
2: bad. That's going to be one of those crazy weekends with a uh, WWE show in Wales and you got uh, all out weekend and. Yeah, it's going to be a very, very busy one uh, Labor Day weekend, but you can check out that interview and Rampage. Uh, they confirmed it uh, earlier in the day. Tony Khan had mentioned it, but also all over the broadcast. Five thirty Eastern on Friday.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. So uh, wrestling during the daytime for, for us.
2: Yes. Another head to head with a Bellator who are at four Eastern uh, in London, England.
0: Oh, what are you going to watch?
2: Uh, I, I'll honestly be watching neither at that time. There's no way I can watch Rampage at 5.30. So my, my best bet will be uh, if I can find it before or during SmackDown, I'll be able to watch it before we record. But uh, Rampage will be tough at, at this time, but we will get through it. So let's get into uh, Dynamite. It was a, a loaded show from the UBS Arena on Long Island, New York. Apparently they had like a, a sizable um, movement in tickets over the last few days. Uh, at last note, uh, WrestleTix had stated around 8,000. Uh, were out for the show. This was not at the level of their first show back in December, which had about uh, 9,300 paid and 9,500 in the building, uh, but not too far off. So still a strong number, I would say, for AEW. And for that matter, um, SmackDown doing uh, just below that, I believe, as well. I think they were just under 8,000 as well. So the fact that those were five days apart, um, they both drew, I would say, healthy crowds for Long Island. And we're kicking things off with the Owen Hart Cup and Adam Cole taking on Dax Harwood, and in attendance, they only showed Martha on screen, but Oge and Athena, Owen's uh, children, uh, they were all there at the show tonight.
0: Very cool. Yeah, it's the opening night of the tournament. You would expect them to be there at least uh, for this in the closing, maybe throughout. Even.
2: So Cole and uh, Harwood start the match, and Dax early on is sent sliding, ribs first into the post, and this would set the tone for the match with Dax Harwood, selling his ribs like every person in this building believed this man did not have another breath left i mean he just sold these ribs for the whole 15 and a half minutes he looked like Uh, he just did a swanton through chairs on the outside he, he was conveying how darby probably was feeling afterward and jeff for that matter too uh they trade rolling germans there's a slingshot sit out powerbomb by dax for the first near fall of the match and then dax uh, comes off for a reverse cross and gets met with a super kick in midair and both men go down. The crowd is applauding them. He blocks a Panama sunrise and then there's a flapjack and he goes for the sharpshooter. Cole stops him with an up kick and goes for another Panama sunrise, which is reversed. And Dax hits that picture perfect pile driver. Crowd goes red hot as Cole kicks out and then Dax applies the sharpshooter and the place explodes and he's got it locked. But the ribs, the ribs are too painful. And he's got to release the hold. And he is set off the apron. And dude, this guy just plummets to the mat. He just bounces off the floor after Cole knocks him down. And Dax is stumbling. And he's trying to get in. And he crashes down off the apron for the tease that he's going to be counted out. But makes it in at nine. And Adam Cole applies the sharpshooter in the center of the ring forcing Dax Harwood to tap to the sharpshooter in 15 minutes and 31 seconds I thought this Mm -hmm. match was terrific great
0: match lovely match lovely finish and despite the ending of the match it was not just another masturbatory Bret Hart tribute match I thought there was enough here to remind you of Sean. he teased the sweet chin music, and to remind you of Bret, and to remind you of Owen here. But the match to me itself was entirely Dax Harwood versus Adam Cole, and I thought it was awesome. Dax has just been tremendous. This, you know, if you want to call it a gimmick, this Bret Hart gimmick I think has been a great way to showcase his wrestling ability as a single star. He's been captivating every single time he's been out there as a singles. The rib injury I thought was really well worked. It was really well sold. And then had a direct effect on every major spot of the match, including Dax trying to uh do the sharpshooter but having to let go, including him doing the count out tease and then having to, you know, uh tough his way back in. And of course Cole ultimately submitting him with that sharpshooter. A ton of heat for Adam Cole, the spiritual successor in AEW to Shawn Michaels, using that move. How dare he against Bret Hart's favorite wrestler? Or uh a wrestler whose favorite wrestler is Bret Hart at least thoroughly enjoyed this match it was great
2: yeah it was there there were some some great moments i really loved like the sharpshooter and then he couldn't hold on because of the ribs the count out tease was really well done and i really like Cole winning with the sharpshooter too i think this will be one of those agonizing losses for Dax Harwood that's just going to eat at him on top of it And um, it gives him something coming out of this like this um, this loss that he puts so much pressure on himself to win and he doesn't lose. He gets like this is the equivalent of like a fighter getting his biggest title fight and he gets knocked out just brutally. And it's a a hard loss to stomach.
0: You know, this this entire run has been a net positive for FTR. They are the hottest they have ever been. And as baby faces, no less. So they are they are at this moment, I believe, the number one contenders uh, or at least the number one ranked in the tag team division. So you would think that that's where, where they would be headed after this.
2: Yeah. And also but I guess
0: like, I guess they're already still they're actually champions right now, aren't they?
2: They got the ROH hmm. and and uh triple tag titles. Well maybe we can also get like a FTR with Cole and and somebody um at a later date too. Like you could play this out as a tag program uh down the road and you know, part yeah. foundation and the Rockers. It, it, wow, okay. Who's Janetti? Um well that will have to be uh hmm. whoever Cole chooses. I mean you've got the acronym right there for FTR. I mean they're all set. Uh, what do you mean? What huh? what FTR can stand for?
0: Oh oh okay. Uh f- fuck the rockers? That's it. That's- oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> all
2: right. All right. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. Video for uh Darby and uh Jeff Hardy. Uh, they're both just stating how their chemistry embraces one another. This is not about exchanging headlocks. It's about getting crazy. Never has a more true statement been said to preview a match. They are more stuntmen than wrestlers. And Darby has asked Tony Khan to waive the rules. Just let us be psychotic. Guess what? Khan agreed to this.
0: <laughs> they they were psychotic. Yeah, at least they're very self-aware um that this is not usual and and let's be honest like expectations are put out there for them to do this stuff i mean when we if they had a straight up wrestling match i mean a lot of the audience would come out of this disappointed so you know you can argue that maybe you know we're to blame ultimately for for increasing expectations this way but yeah they, they gave us what, what the crowd wanted
2: That was the line that Ric Flair had used famously in his book, calling Mick Foley a glorified stuntman. And that, you know, triggered their their whole like, uh, you know, Foley did have some uh, some unkind words for Ric Flair in his book. But that was that was the big line that really triggered uh, Mick Foley as well that I thought of during this one. Uh, We were introduced to Casey Jost and Brian Quinn from Impractical Jokers on True TV. I think yeah. this uh, this Brian White's was also inv- involved in this, I think as well. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And then we go to Hangman Page, who comes out for commentary, and he is out for the CM Punk John Silver match. And out comes Punk. He's getting booed, and he's wearing a New York Islanders jersey. And the crowd is, saying, wait a minute, is he trying to win us back over? Is oh, because he's a babyface now, so he's got to do something to win us back. He turns his back to the camera. Motherfucker's wearing a John Tavares jersey. I'm not the biggest hockey fan, but I thought this was the greatest. I thought this was so funny. So I'm not a hockey
0: fan whatsoever, but what is the significance of wearing a John Tavares New York Islanders jersey?
2: John Tavares was like the guy for the New York Islanders until he realized, I'm taking my talents to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he he left. He left the Islanders. This was uh, 2018, I believe. I believe it was Canada Day 2018 that they – because I remember being at the beach. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Elliot Friedman that broke the news that Tavares was going to Toronto. And dude, like Toronto Maple Leafs Twitter, just they lost their minds. Yeah, the current captain of the Leafs, I believe. I thought
0: this was absolutely – brilliantly played because you have punk here he's wearing the islanders jersey you don't know what's going on he asks for the music to be cut and they're booing him anyway but if in case just in case they weren't he pauses and then when he does his usual turn around the crowd with his arms raised that's when you realize exactly what he was doing to rile this crowd up with that jersey so i thought it was a great move
2: Can I tell my one uh, related John Tavares story? Because I will never have a reason to tell this story other than this moment on this episode. So please just indulge me.
0: Please go right ahead.
2: So my cousin, he got married a few years ago. And when he proposed to his girlfriend, it was around like the end of June 2018 is what I'm I'm guessing it was uh, to coincide with this. So he had told like his his best friend, he's like, I'm going to ask... I'm going to propose like this weekend or something like that. And so his friend was like, you know, congratulations, whatever, whatever. Uh, let me know how it goes. So like the two days or whatever pass. And then my cousin texts his friend like capital letters. He said yes with all these exclamation marks. And my friend is like, Oh man, he must have been so excited. He wrote, he said yes. And he wrote, like, congratulations on, like, the proposal. And he's like, no, John Tavares joined the Leafs. <laughs> and he had forgotten. He said to- <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, he was like, what that about what about the proposal? I was like, oh, yeah, she said yes, too, or something like that. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's the closest I have to a John Tavares story. Oh, anyway. That's great so they are chanting back and forth uh, and punk is like out in like islanders colors too with like his trunks and boots on top of this the crowd is actually going back and forth at the beginning with johnny hungy chants and punk uh, but then they just settle on booing punk uh they go through the picture and picture silver gets in a lot of kicks here and then hits him with a brainbuster for a two count like this crowd was into the idea of John Silver winning this thing, as preposterous as that sounds. There's a tornado DDT off the buckle to Punk, and then Punk stops the spin doctor, hits a roundhouse kick, step-up knee, short-arm clothesline, he's flexing to the audience, and then he stares down Hangman Page from the apron while he's on commentary. And you think he's going for a springboard, but no, he goes for the buckshot lariat. Unfortunately, like, he plants his feet right as he lands, and dude, he whiffed. On the lariat portion of this, I mean, and the angle it was at, I mean, he completely missed it. But nonetheless, it was the finish in eight oh eight.
0: He didn't completely miss Ugh, it. It d- dude, just you, wasn't I, as smooth as as, I as the usual. I don't think he,
2: I don't think he made contact with the arm. Really? Go back was, and watch it. Was it that far off? It was pretty off.
0: Oh okay. Well, may, maybe I'll have to rewatch it. But I mean, to me, Punk is not the most graceful wrestler anyway. So him, like you know, mimicking another wrestler's move like i i thought he connected but if you're telling me he didn't then i'll have to rewatch that that's somewhat unfortunate but overall i mean I, when you have a, a crowd this reactive to not just punk but to silver as well I, the, the match really can't help but be a success and i thought it absolutely was um not much more like johnny hungy is it has these tremendous like bursts of offense that I, I feel are actually quite unique to him in this company. So in this c- context, seeing him as a single, like usually it's used great, very effectively for those hot tags and a tag team situation. But as a single star, he still got them a wonderful undersized baby face against, against the <laughs> very hated uh, one night heel here in CM Punk. And I thought the match was quite successful, especially the little thing at the end, at least symbolically for page.
2: I-, I love this deal with Punk and Long Island. I hope they, Continue it forever as long mm-hmm. as this guy's in AEW. Like, if he ever turns heel, he should just not show up at Long Island. So they're even more pissed that he doesn't even show up. Like, it was, it, they should just keep this running forever. That he, this is the one place that he hates. So, um, Paige and Punk then go face to face in the ring, and it's, it's all Punk responding, saying how Paige took this personally and he doesn't know why that these people don't like him. It's not personal for Punk, it's just business. I used to wake up and ask, are you a good guy? But this morning I woke up and asked myself, are you the champion? And my answer was yes. I just destroyed your boy, and it's the blueprint for what I'm going to do to you. And if you won't shake my hand, well, you will after Double or Nothing, whether you're conscious or not. And Paige just gives him the middle finger and leaves. Mm -hmm.
0: Love this. Love this. I thought the segment was good. Match was very good as well. I thought tonight AEW and Punk really played this evening very well you know, instead of, instead of maybe trying to fight a bit... Like, if they if he came out as a straight-up baby face, I think there was a chance that this crowd would have played along,
2: but... There there was a lot of chance for him at the beginning of the match, and then I think they realized the, the role that they wanted here, and they pretty much went anti-punk, but I, I think you're right. I think that it wouldn't have been too hard to uh, flip this crowd if they had been dead set on doing it. I, I like, though, that they didn't. It was... It,
0: it would have been a typical punk reaction at best, but... By going along with the heel factor, I think they made it a a very special, magnificent night for CM Punk in this Hangman Page feud by extension. You know, they played into it and turned it into something far more memorable than it would have been had they been fighting against it.
2: And it respects your crowd too, that you're not ignoring that you were just here five months ago and mm-hmm. he was hated. And what? It's just, he's onto a new feud and you're supposed to forget what happened five months ago. Instead, they are, they played into it. Like punk cut a total heel. It's not like he just came out in December and was booed. Like he ran down the city. He made fun of their hockey team. It would have been disingenuous to just come out now. And now he's all complimentary. It was it was consistent. So I think you lean into that. And I think you kind of want both page and punk to kind of go through this in the lead up. Like last week, page was much more heelish this week. It was punk. That was heelish.
0: Mm -hmm, Totally. We got some confirmation in the chat room. You are right, John, he did miss. It looked like,
2: well, it was, uh, can't hit them all, I guess. But overall, I thought this segment came off uh, pretty well with the, with the reactions and the promo afterwards, but maybe he's going to retire the, uh, The Buck Shit Lariat.
0: Hmm. Yes. Yes.
2: Shivani interviews Baker, Hater, and Rebel. Uh, Baker's in a Mario Lemieux shirt, and Baker has to face a joker. And she and Hater are going to win their tournament matches and states that storms are violent and exciting when they begin. But then they pass, and tonight the storm is going to pass. And Baker is asked if her and Hater end up having to face each other, what's going to happen? And Baker says the better female will win. Danhausen and Tony Nice. This was Danhausen's in ring debut for AEW. Uh, and we've got Mark Sterling in the corner of Tony Nice, also in Islander's colors with his uh suit and tie. And Sterling distracts Danhausen to avoid Nice getting cursed, and therefore Nice capitalized, attacking him in the corner, the running niece, and pins Danhausen in 36 seconds.
0: Yeah, surprising. You know, surprising for such a big fan favorite to come out here and lose in 30 seconds. But I thought it was great booking. Dan Housen is not the type of wrestler that needs to go on an undefeated winning streak. He's more endearing just simply as a character. He's way more endearing when he's getting beaten up and he's getting saved by Hook.
2: That's right. And that's what this... Yeah, the match was really just the setup for afterward where Sterling gets on the microphone. He's instructing Nice to give another knee and calls Danhausen an internet meme wrestler. And as he's setting up for another running niece, Hook comes out to a giant reaction. And he sends Nice and Sterling running and him and Danhausen shake hands. Big pop for this. And then Hook takes off. And this is going to be a tag match at the buy-in. For double or nothing uh, with Hookhausen against Tony Niece and Mark Sterling.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought actually all of this was quite brilliant. It got Tony more moreover, it got Hook, moreover, and somehow in you know, losing in thirty seconds, it got Danhausen, moreover, all in a very compact. You know, what was this like a three minute segment here?
2: Very short,
0: really well done, and also I really like Danhausen's new song. You know, there's a lot of speculation. Okay, are they going to use like what the, you know, tequila? It's not tequila, but I would contend that it might be better. Um, Mikey Ruckus is always uh, killing it here. So this was great.
2: Wardlow is brought out for the next segment. It is the contract signing. There are signs of Boo Wardlow flashing on the screen uh, for everybody. And the ring is all decorated with balloons for MJF. And then we go to the dark side of the ring, like title board. And I'm just, and it starts with on the next season of dark side of the ring. And you've got Jericho voicing this and they end up, it's Jericho doing his read and then stops asking, is this just for MJF? And they end up doing a mock. Dark Side of the Ring trailer on the history of MJF and Wardlow with Taz and Barry Horowitz as your uh, on-camera interviewees. (laughs) No Jim Ross on this. And uh, (laughs) that was, I thought this was so well thought out and I thought this was hilarious.
0: It came from out of nowhere. Like I'm like, oh, is there? Are are they announcing a fourth season somehow? On in the middle of dynamite.
2: I mean, the fact that Uh, like Dark Side of the Ring was so in the news last week like made this even more relevant. The fact that they did this now, Um, whoever mm -hmm. came up with this, I thought this was like a really clever way to recap this feud.
0: If if you remember last time MJF was in Long Island, they did that whole big video of him like you know when the football jacket and, and all that and it seems like it may, might be a running thing now where every time you have an NJF reappearance in his hometown, they go all out with some uh, no pun intended, with with some some video production, and I thought this week's was absolutely brilliant it was a really excellent parody, you know, of course having Jericho on staff helps, but the slow-mo shots uh the interview shots looked exactly like they, I mean close to almost an exact, you know, replica of what they did, the fonts looked exactly so, I'm sure uh, uh, Evan Husney and Jason Heisner are are very happy.
1: So
2: the whole arena is chanting for MJF as his music plays. They go nuts for him. He's wearing an Islanders jersey as well. Just a complete baby face coming out here. And there is Wardlow in the ring at the end of the table and MJF explains he will let him out of his contract if he beats him at double or nothing. But first, he wants to give Wardlow a chance to speak to the people here in Long Island. And he sarcastically tells the audience not to boo every time Wardlow goes to speak, because the last thing we would want to do is create the loudest boos in wrestling history. As he tells Wardlow, the floor is yours and this crowd won't even let this guy get a word out. And then MJF says, screw him. He isn't going to speak and he lays out the conditions stating that karma is going to get Wardlow for what he did to my best friend, Cody Rhodes. And then says, do you not want me to talk about 2024? Because neither does the guy in the back and says the conditions for the match are that Wardlow will have to get whipped, but not once, not twice. And he goes all the way up to nine before handing it to Sean Spears, who puts up the 10 So Wardlow will have to be whipped 10 times and then wrestle Sean Spears in a steel cage match, which they know Wardlow is 0-2 in cage matches with MJF as the special referee. And then he will get the match with MJF. So there's a lot uh, that they got to cram into uh, two weeks here. But uh, we're going to do the lashings next week. And then I guess the cage match the following week in probably in Vegas.
0: Yeah, looks like it. Yeah, Um, a lot of activity in the next two weeks.
2: And then if Wardlow loses a double or nothing, he will never be allowed to sign a contract with AEW. And they try to make him sign the contract with the handcuffs on. He is uncuffed, signs it, and then MJF calls him a coward and that sets off Wardlow who murders security. This might have been uh the best the best indie security they have had to date because <laughs> these guys just I don't know if these were the the creator pro Uh, in in the security, but they were fantastic. These guys made this guy look like a monster inside of this ring. MJF is hiding behind Spears and Spears has a chair, but gets stopped. And Wardlow just stares down MJF and he grabs him, teases the power bomb. They actually had this crowd getting excited that MJF was going to get power bombed, which I could not imagine that they would get this reaction for Wardlow, but it was so chaotic. And MJF was about to get powerbombed and they saw this as a significant moment and Sterling jumps on the back, saving MJF, who runs away. And then MJF and Spears just watch as Sterling gets put through the table. I thought the crafting and thought that went into this segment from the parody to the structure of it everyone got to cheer for mjf by the end of it you still had the desired reaction for wardlow sterling as your sacrificial lamb you got a power bomb you tease but did not give away mjf getting uh his getting his uh physicality i i really was a big fan of this segment i thought it was pretty much like pitch perfect
0: at this point in the show I was thinking they were hitting home run after home run after home run um and I was thinking wow this this dynamite like was fantastic is becoming fantastic might might is on course to be one of their best because I'm in total agreement um this I thought was almost a perfect segment here the way MJF is able to command a crowd this comparison has been made before, but I, I thought it really came across tonight. I haven't seen somebody be, be able to be so comfortable, so commanding, so charismatic in front of an audience since The Rock. The way he's able to speak to this crowd as if they were one collective entity and, you know, direct them to some sort of weird psychology to be, you know, to, to, to get them to sarcastically not boot Wardlow, and actually encouraging them to do so, I thought was so incredible to watch. You know, of course, we have guys like Punk who are great speakers, but for this type of cocky, jokey type of vibe, I haven't seen a better example of this st- style of promo since Dwayne. So it really was incredible. Uh, he had a lot of work to do in this segment. I mean, first of all, to field, this incredible energy from his hometown crowd and doing all of that, entertaining them, but also he had to, you know, convey the stipulations. I thought they were clearly laid out. They're entertainingly laid out. I love the 10 thing with Spears. Like this was really a segment. And this is overall a wrestling product designed for people who have watched this stuff for a long time. Between the dark side of the ring to, you know, of course, having to recognize Sean Spears for his past gimmick. And, of course, the Tony Khan line um, that, you know, will probably get some people talking as well. Probably spitting that into some sort of angle at some point. Um, and, and most importantly, the fact that as cool as MJF looked here... It didn't overshadow Wardlow as a baby face and somehow they still made Wardlow look cool enough that this audience was cheering for him and he looked like a badass by the end. So it really was amazing. I mean, again, this Long Island crowd felt like something special tonight and they were able to, to, to create
2: something special with them. The crowd was just eating out of the palm of this guy's hand, like finishing the catchphrases. I mean, it was it's not a crazy comparison that you're making at all. Like he just was so over here. Um, the, the idea of this guy being a baby face is only solidified when you see uh, moments like this. And you know he already is
0: in many places.
2: In many places. And, you know, working in that 2024 line, you have to have the title on him by mid 2023 as you're getting to January 1st, you think think they're
0: doing a summer of punk type of thing.
2: I I think that's the way to go. Yes. I would, I would try and get the title on him sometime next year. And he's holding that title as the year is whittling down.
0: So that would actually require behind the scenes, a new contract to be signed prior to that. Don't you think?
2: Um, yeah. Or I mean, like worst case, like you, you know, you could work out, you know, it's, you know, it, to me, it would be, it would be fascinating to see how that, that would work. But I think for, for ultimate, for, for maximum impact, uh, pardon the pun. Um, that's, that's to me the angle is that he's got your leverage with this AEW championship. And this has been introduced on television when his contract is up. So we've got to play towards that.
0: I love it. Yeah. So you know, at this point, like the top two programs going into Double or Nothing between Page and Punk and MJF and Wardlow, they're both in incredible shape right now. I think Punk and MJ uh, Punk and, and Page is the in ring the match I'm looking forward to more. But at this point, I feel like MJF and Wardlow might be the better built program overall.
2: It's going to be incredibly heated um, for mm. that match and how it's how it's structured and 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 where you go with it as well. Like it's it's been built tremendously well. I don't think the most optimistic viewer could have assumed Wardlow would take off to, to this extent. Like they have just uh, built this guy into, you know, a, just just a monster baby face uh, in in preparation for this. Like when he finally power bombs MJF, it should be a seismic moment for, for this guy's career. Samoa Joe is in the back and says about the Joker he's facing next week. I've only dealt with Joker since coming here fools and clowns like Sanjay Dutt and then we're cutting back and forth with Lethal Dutt and Sutnam Singh and Dutt uh, speaks and says, your stomach is big, but your brain is small. And Joe is going to win the Owen Hart cup and then come for all of them to settle things his way. So I guess the idea here was that some people might think that the Joker is going to be lethal or Dut and they're making it clear here. It's not. And they're building next week as wild card Wednesday because we'll get both Jokers revealed. And that should be, I mean, I don't know what, what games they'll be up against, but you know, surprises tend to work. Um, when, when you're teasing them and you're going to have all the speculation next week of who these jokers are going to be next week. And uh, I, I like the idea of like really hyping it up for the next week.
0: I did too. I was a little surprised that they would give both of them away on the same show. Cause I mean, you could theoretically save one for rampage or the next week, but yeah, you know, it might be one of those cases where maybe one is very satisfying from a real competitor's standpoint, and maybe another one is more of a, an expendable one. Because you would figure Joe would be moving on. You figure Baker might also be moving on, too. So, I mean, these are potentially people that are going to have to satisfy the surprise, but also be maybe low enough on the totem pole that they could take a loss.
2: I don't know about Joe, because I could certainly see, number one, whoever he if he were to lose to someone. um that sets up a future TV title match, and it could also get Joe to towards Lethal for the pay-per-view or, or in some, some incarnation that that's the program uh, that you're building. So, um, yeah, we will see next week. You know, there's, you know, names that are being thrown out and speculated upon, and I think there's, you know, there's a few options you can play. Ricky Starks and Jungle Boy for the FTW Championship. Taz is on commentary. Starks is very over here as he came out. Uh, Jungle Boy does his multiple springboards into an arm drag. We go through the picture in picture. Uh, he blocks Rochambeau into an arm drag and then lands a super kick. And then a lariat off the ropes is stopped by a spear from Starks. Jungle Boy recovers, goes for the snare trap, and applies it, and Starks just claws his way to the rope and grabs it, snaps Jungle Boy's neck on the top rope, and then he goes to the floor and grabs his championship, prompting Swerve Strickland to run down to stop Starks, and while the ref is dealing with Swerve, Jungle Boy gets a roll-up cover on Starks, but there's no referee to count. And then Starks gets out and is able to hit Rochambeau for the win in 10 minutes. And Swerve realized that in trying to help Jungle Boy, he cost him the match.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. G- good
0: match. Technically, great athleticism and a very fast pace from both men. I felt the crowd dipped a little bit here coming off of, you know, some incredibly hot segments with some big stars. I also thought,
2: thought they of- saw Starks as more of the babyface than they were into Jungle Boy here as well.
0: You think so? Okay.
2: I, I felt like... It felt more into into Starks here, but I, I agree with you. Like I, I, didn't think this match like uh, blew anyone out of the water. Like it, it was all right. Um, I. I-
0: I feel like, you know, we're, we're talking about this is definitely a case where it's, it might be one title too many in, in the case of the STW title, because I I mean, the Owen Cup means more at this point than the Owen, like the first round Owen Cup means more than the FTW title at this point. So they were, they, they saw this as, as a little less important. I thought the finish itself was maybe a little contrived and cliche in a sports entertainment sense, but it, it was, it needed to be done to set up a number of storylines after this, actually.
2: Yeah, you had Luchasaurus and Christian come out and they just brush past Swerve and they get into an argument. Starks and Hobbs are on the floor prompting Keith Lee to come down to be with Swerve. And Jungle Boy is not paying attention to any of these stare downs because he's just frustrated with the loss up against the rope. And Christian walks up to him from behind and then just pats him on the back and hugs Jungle Boy. So they're continuing to tease stuff with Christian of like the crowd kind of watching if he was going to attack jungle boy and you know swerving him so that was that i thought i sorry go ahead i was just saying it it seems like they're they're setting all this up for some kind of like three-way tag title program looks to be where they're going here
0: perhaps yeah seems like it i'm i'm you know it's it's Everything that's been going on, kind of with with like um, Jungle Boy and, and Jurassic uh, and Christian, it's it's a little in the background, like because so much stuff overshadows it on this particular show. But slowly, like this Christian stuff, I think is is gaining some interest from me, mainly because they're doing it so subtly, mm-hmm. so slow, and so subtly, including tonight where. Obviously, we know what we're supposed to think coming off of it, but the way they do it is just like you know a step behind. I think the obvious where Christian just really doesn't do a whole lot more, but walk in slowly, maybe gives a look, and you think it's happening tonight, but ultimately it's just a hug. But it's still like not so obvious that um, I think you would typically get in a, in a pro wrestling setting. That I I'm I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious to, to to see when it happens and, and how exactly they do it, if they're doing it so slowly now.
2: Then it was the Jericho Appreciation Society victory speech, where they come out and they've got a podium in the ring, and Parker and Menard take turns speaking, and then Jericho says there are a lot of hometown heroes tonight in Long Island, and he's one of them. He was born nearby in Manhasset, but then I left because this place is a dump. And he threatens to throw a fireball at some fan because I'm a wizard and tells Eddie Kingston to stay at home, it says Jericho 216 says, I just burned your face. And then Jericho. what's the
0: significance of 216?
2: I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know.
0: I don't know if my uh, chat room. References. What do you guys think 216 means? Let us know.
2: Jericho says that Eddie Kingston needs to take care of his wife. And if she's not feeling OK, she can give me a call and Daniel Garcia says that every time a sports entertainer takes on a wrestler the sports entertainer always wins and with that John Moxley's music begins and out comes Moxley and this was like the uh the Rubik's cube just everything came together and we're talking about who could the two people be for Kingston and Santana and Ortiz and this like of course this makes all the sense in the world i don't know why we didn't think of it of course These guys are friends. This is like a perfect solution, like just a perfect story. So Moxley comes out. Jericho tells him to walk around and leave or else be sent on another sabbatical. Danielson comes out with Regal and Yuta, but Jericho says there's still only four of you and five of us when Eddie Kingston, burn Mark and all on his face, appears with Santana and Ortiz on the apron and the crowd chants, you fucked up. At the Jericho Appreciation Society, big brawl ensues. Kingston goes right for Jericho to choke him, and Hager breaks it. Regal brings Jericho to the floor, and Regal decks him with one punch, and the Jericho Appreciation Society retreat. And this this set up all these loose ends that it looks to be our 10-man tag for the pay-per-view. Yuta's gone, and Danielson and Moxley make perfect sense to be with Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz.
0: Yes, he is gone because of the best of the Super Juniors, of course. So, yeah, it ma- it makes a whole lot of sense here. I mean, um of course traditionally we have the stadium stampede at this point in uh, double or nothing, but this time I'm assuming maybe it's more of a traditional maybe uh what, what do they call those like falls count anywhere types of uh tag tort- elimination be like, tag.
2: Yeah, this should be a street fight or something. This should not be some kind of gimmicky
0: yeah. match. Just doesn't know. need to be. The spectacle of seeing these 10 And the star power now that you have in there between mox and eddie kingston and chris jericho and brian danielson is more than enough to make this a very coveted match on the show uh so yeah great way to care pair uh the bcc with eddie kingston and proud and powerful and i'm looking forward to some of these specific interactions here between you know brian and garcia or like you know uh uh who are we talking about here um you know, uh, Mox Moxie, even, even like
2: Danielson and Kingston teaming together. I yeah. mean I, I hope we get a segment with like the five of them all together, like going into yeah. battle with it with one another, and it, it's like all these diverse personalities.
0: Yeah, or or like you know, uh, even Jericho and Brian. Like, when was the last time those two touched?
2: Some you know? someone brought it up actually. I, I I cannot remember where I saw it, but I I am curious if they bring up the the past. Issue with uh, Santana and John Moxley with each going after the other's eye. Remember when they did that during the Jericho Moxley uh, title program?
0: You know, I do. I don't remember it so much at this point. But
2: you, you're but absolutely Santana right. Santana had the eye like, patch, and then Moxley had
0: was that the eye Mox? patch. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then so, perfect. I mean, listen, this whole story is about uh, taking each other's eyes out, anyway. So maybe they can share eye care tips.
2: Well, they are they are partners now. So Serena Deeb and Thunder Rosa, there was a feature here with comments from Jim Ross, Dustin Rhodes, and Shivani. And that was pretty much the extent of the the women's title uh, mention for the pay-per-view on the show. The Owen Hart Cup continued with Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter. Uh, It began with a front chancery applied by Tony Storm, and then Hader takes over, hitting this snap suplex on the floor, and Storm would sell her back throughout the match. Uh, They had dueling elbow strikes with both uh, down inside the ring, and then Storm hit this spinning DDT in the ring and a follow-up one to the floor. Hader then hits a backbreaker over her knee, uh, going back to the, the, the injured body part, but grabs her knee after hitting the backbreaker. Hater then hits a urinagi onto the edge of the apron. All her offense was around the back and she hits a superplex, but then tries for one more. She tries to do the roll through into a follow-up vertical suplex and storm catches her with an inside cradle for two. And then there's a backslide rollout and boom hits her with storm zero and pins her out of nowhere in eight minutes and 34 seconds. And uh, Martha Hart gave this five stars. She looked, uh, she loved this. Is there a Martha Hart uh, star star system now? I, I think it's going to develop. I think I think she should have a star system by double or nothing. That would be great. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, we yeah. we talk about this being like the tough spot in the show sometimes, but uh, I I think these are two of the better women in the entire division, and I I thought they had a really entertaining match.
0: Yeah, I thought so too. Um, I I almost wondered if my expectations were a little too high for it because like they're two of my f- favorite um uh, wrestlers in the women's uh, division. I almost felt like this would be the type of match that would you know steal the show almost. But it's incredibly difficult at the 930 slot. and Yeah,
2: it did not steal the show. But I just thought, like, technically, this was, like, a really nice laid-out match. And I I really didn't have any complaints about it.
0: No, I have no complaints at all, too. You know, it carried the streak of, I think, some really quality stuff on this show. But, I mean, if I if I have to, like, it was maybe towards the bottom of, like, you know, I, this was a really hard show to compete with because it was really sandwiched between a lot of really incredible segments. and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.
2: I can't believe he has to do these rundowns and then call another hour of programming after this with Rampage. But my God, what he had to promote here. I'm just looking at all the stuff here. So Rampage on Friday at 530 has Riho against Ruby Soho in the Owen Hart Cup. Scorpio Sky defends the TNT title against Kazarian, and we got a a video of Scorpio Sky calling Kazarian a brother. The Reunited Death Triangle takes on The Butcher, The Blade, and Mark Quinn. Sean Spears against Bear Boulder, and the baddies will speak. Lexi Nair then interviews Kazarian, and he's interrupted by Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti, who warn Kazarian that Scorpio Sky is not the same guy, and he'll stab you in the back. And Kazarian laughs, getting a lecture from Sammy Guevara about trust. And he and Guevara ends it by saying, SCU later. And Kazarian says, hey, your vlog sucks.
0: <laughs>
2: you know, you yeah. know who Kazarian is? If you weren't, a, you're not a Ted Lasso viewer, are you? I've seen one episode, but sure. Kazarian well. like needs to be Roy Kent. That's who this guy needs to be. Like the old, like crotchety veteran. But he's, he, he's lovable in a in a certain sense.
0: Well, he who just thinks everything sucks.
2: Yes, but he's he's like the best character on the show. He's even better than Ted Lasso, might. Mm, that might okay. be a controversial take, but it's the truth. Uh then we get the announcement for the buy-in match with uh with Hookhausen and then Dynamite next week. Are you ready for this? Jericho and Regal will have a face-to-face confrontation. Kyle O'Reilly against Ray Phoenix in the Owen Hart Cup. Britt Baker against the Joker. Samoa Joe against the Joker. <laughs> Hangman Page against Konosuke Takeshita. because 'cause, mm-hmm. let's just do this. Mm-hmm. Wardlow will receive his ten lashes, and then Adam Cole against the winner, the winner of Jeff Hardy or Darby Allen in the Owen Hart Cup in Houston.
0: Okay. Even as you repeated that, it's just like it's kind of one in one ear, out the other. It's it's just why don't, why doesn't he keep going? And tell me the rest of the month. Every match for the rest of the month.
2: He plugged 12 things for these next two shows, plus a 13th element with the double or nothing plug here for the tag match.
0: At this point, I think it's just like, you know, they're they're just doing it to test Excalibur. Like, just, I think for our entertainment, just to see, like, how many things he could fit in. Can he break his record? What is it, 12 right now? Can he go 15? 15?
2: Hey, Excalibur, we, we really want to put more emphasis on Dark, so we're going to plug it every, every week. Yeah. <laughs> Both shows.
0: Uh, yeah, and then ROH in there. like <laughs> Please plug Road 2, every segment on uh, BTE. We need you to, to in the video game. Everything. And
2: don't forget, Wheeler Yuta's going to be in the Best of the Super Juniors. It's going to be 13 shows, and I'm going to take you through every tournament <laughs> match. Oh, jeez. Okay, so our main event, they had like 10 minutes um, and they crammed about 30 minutes worth into it. Jeff Hardy, accompanied by Matt, taking on Darby Allen, who had Sting in his corner. It's an anything goes, let's get psychotic because we're stuntman match. Darby starts things off with a running drop kicks and his crazy tope to the floor just kills Jeff. And then he brings out eight chairs and sets them up. He unfolds them and places onto the floor at that point I noted somebody will die here there's a flapjack to Darby on the steps and then Jeff hits a flying clothesline off the steps and goes for a twist of fate off of them, but gets stopped and Hardy's run into the post. And then Jeff Hardy brings out the world's largest ladder, which sends us to picture and picture. This was the most <laughs> frightening picture in picture as Jeff is setting up this ladder and he is climbing to the top. And I'm just, please do not jump during the picture and picture. Can we please get someone at ringside to inform this man not to do this? Um, Darby stops him on the ladder as they come back from break, and he is placed. He places Jeff onto the the eight chairs on the floor. The ladder is still set up, so of course we are going to get uh, Darby climbing up said ladder. This is in the ring, so we're adding even more height to this thing, and I'm just watching. And nine times out of ten, you would think, okay, he's going to get cut off here. There's no way. It's Darby Allen, which means 10 times out of 10, you know, the worst is about to happen. And he jumps off this gigantic ladder for a swanton coming down on these eight chairs. This is among the craziest Uh, things I have seen. No more words. That's what I
0: said. No more uh, words for this. We found somebody crazier than Jeff Hardy when he was younger. Because this is this is truly like, you know, a, a dream match between two very similar personalities. Because we've seen an evolved version of Jeff Hardy. And his name is Darby Allin. Somebody who just gets up there and has zero hesitation about putting his body through unthinkable acts. Uh, it, it was spectacular. It also... I have a canker sore, John. And it's been bugging me, like, for like three days. Those are the worst. I, yeah. So... Listen, I know pain, okay? And it just like gave me that feeling throughout my entire body, uh, times a million, because I can't imagine what he's feeling right now. Uh, You know what? We talked about it off the top. I mean, it's the type of thing, it is, it's the type of thing that is so dangerous, so crazy that it makes me concerned.
2: It's, it's too much for me, and if you want to like roll your eyes at that, that that's fine. But it's like this is not what I I watch pro wrestling for. Where I'm just hoping the guy gets up okay uh, from it, and I just think, man, we're we're really pushing the bar to, to such a level that uh, one of these times someone is not going to get up from this, and, and then we're going to have this whole moratorium on you know the the state of the, these dangerous spots. And I just like th- this was exceptionally frightening to to watch. So. We move on from there, and Darby sets him up for a coffin drop in the ring, but Hardy rolls to the edge of the apron. Darby goes for it anyway, missing the coffin drop on the edge of the apron, and Darby is placed on the stairs on the floor as Jeff Hardy goes for a swanton from the top, missing Darby and crashing onto the steps with his back. Hardy is rolled into the ring. Darby hits the coffin drop. One, two, backslide, and pins Darby in 10 minutes and 17 seconds. I'll tell you where my head was going watching this match when he hits the swanton onto the stairs. I'm thinking, well, of course Darby's winning this because there's no goddamn way Jeff Hardy can do a match in seven days. That was my thinking. Uh, but they, <laughs> they got me. They got me and Jeff won. Is it, this is the way Cody beat him too, right? With the, uh, with the backslide off the coffin drop. Uh, beat who? Uh, when, Darby? W- when Cody beat Darby before uh, – during – You
0: think my memory is that good, John? I'm well, not you, man. I can't remember what happened last week. Well, I, I think
2: they are trying to establish like this is a um, uh, an Achilles heel for, for Darby, a counter to the, uh, the coffin drop. But Jeff Hardy wins. I was semi-surprised at this outcome, and it will be Jeff Hardy against Adam Cole next week. Uh, Darby and Jeff shook hands, and then Undisputed Elite walked out on the stage to – and the show. And I would think next week, uh, we'll probably have an idea if they are going to go with the Young Bucks and the Hardys as they've been teasing. It would make sense. I think most assume Adam Cole's going to the finals and the Bucks can get involved somehow in this and it segues them with the Hardys.
0: When we look at what is a pay-per-view caliber match potential for the Bucks or for the Hardys, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. You know, Unless you want to throw Red Dragon in there um, to, 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 to make it a three-way perhaps, but I think at the very least, you know, the T's at the end here seem to indicate or
2: or eight man. If you made like Darby and Sting with the Hardys, um, that that could be the only. And, and again, I think you can get away with the Bucks and Hardys. I think that sells itself. But you also want maybe need to find roles for for others as well. I could you, you could do an eight man if you wanted and get Red Dragon on one side and Sting and Darby on the other
0: who 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 does the craziest spot in that match
2: oh i mean at this point it'll still have to be sting he's the barometer
0: sting yeah yeah yeah, uh, spectacular main event. Um, one that I thought they built up to pretty well throughout the show. You know, they, they, they were
2: putting it over as like one of the best matches in Dynamite history at the end, and I like when they do that because you get a sea of uh, unbelievable matches, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's uh, you, you forget about Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen because you get so many uh, in in such a uh, a weekly fashion. But um, this was a pretty spectacular episode, and a big part of it, way was. They understood what kind of crowd they were going to get. They have built up a hometown star. It's like reason number 105 to build that person up and give the crowd, like let them react the way they're going to. Let's not fight them. And it made for a really special reaction from this audience. And the whole show, I think, benefited from that, um, along with some like really great um, segments that they they planned and, and matches, too.
0: I thought this was one of the best dynamites in recent memory. Uh, again, my memory is not the best, so I am going to have to really, you know, re- resort to other people's lists. But I thought top to bottom, there were tremendous segments from the opening match to what they did with the uh, Punk and Page to what they did with, um, uh, you know, MJF and War. Though, which might have been the highlight, you know, considering this was a, a Long Island. But uh, and then maybe the main event, I have to say, might have been the highlight. Um, it was one of those shows where I thought every every segment killed it.
2: Yeah, and I think if, if if you just take a step back and look at this as a building tool for double, double or nothing, like that pay-per-view is shaping up to – it feels very big uh, thus mm-hmm. far of like where all these programs are coming together. So uh, a thumbs-up edition of Dynamite, no question.
0: Yes, thumbs way up. But more importantly, what did you guys think? You guys can, as always, if you're a patron, leave a comment at form.postwrestling.com after every edition of Raw, Dynamite, uh, SmackDown, Rampage, of course, for which we do reviews every Friday night on postwrestlingcafe.com. But tonight, we're here to talk about Rampage, and let's start here off, I'll, I'll start, John, with Johnny, who says, This episode has to be in the conversation of Top 10 Dynamites. That opening match was fantastic. With every match, Dax is pushing for Wrestler of the Year. Wow. Is he at that level, John? Uh, yeah, it's a tough it, race.
2: I'll say, Tomohiro Ishii is making a solid campaign at uh, at 46 years of age. Um, uh, for for the, me,
0: the fact right that now. I mean, even some somebody, one person considers him in contention, says a whole lot about you know how much he's grown uh, as a singles wrestler this year.
2: I mean, just look at the, the match like between him and Cash. The like when when you put in like what they did in April with uh, the Briscoes, the Young Bucks. Their own singles match. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can add this one to the list. This is a fantastic match that they had tonight. It's it's an incredible run that the two are on.
0: He says, and that finish might be my finish of the year. Hookhausen lives. Storm versus Hater was phenomenal. And I would love to see another match between these two. My friend actually called BCC helping Kingston out because it sets up wrestler versus sports entertainers. And that main event, it wasn't the prettiest, but it was the most insane match from both of these guys. Question, JAS versus BCC. Is it a blood and guts match? Do you do it on a pay-per-view and make it or make it a special dynamite? Okay, yeah, so that's right. You know, we've we've talked about Stadium Stampede and maybe the likelihood that they're probably not going to do that without with a full crowd. What about uh, blood and guts?
2: I don't know if you'd want to... I, I would save that. I don't know if this pay-per-view needs blood and guts, but this has certainly been built up to a way that it, it, it warrants something of that magnitude, like to... <laughs> The double
0: ring been. is my hesitation, you know? That's for, right. For that that's right. Up. You've
2: got the double ring. Re- like, I, I don't think um, this is probably happening at the pay-per-view. And I, I do expect the match to happen at the pay-per-view.
0: Yeah, maybe you get the straight-up match first. And then that somehow leads to blood and gut on TV. Yeah,
2: you could keep this going. Because, you know, you have just introduced Moxley and Danielson to this mix. I can't imagine that you just end this after two weeks that you could keep this going um, with many, many iterations, you've got 10 parts here, uh, that you can mix and match and go back to blood and guts. You know, maybe that's something big you do. Yeah. I'm trying to think like you want to have something big at the forum, but that's the Wednesday coming out of the pay-per-view, but you, you have lots of big shows in the, in the next while that you could, uh, you know, save blood and guts for sometime you needed in the, in the summer or at, at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next up, we go to Brian. Unbelievable episode. Every match had something to offer, but I love the contract signing, with MJF again showing how much of a star he is and how well Wardlow uh, can be in this role. Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz uniting with the Blackpool Combat Club against the Jericho Appreciation Society was fantastic as well, with attention paid at first to the history Moxley has with both Kingston and Jericho. I'm also enjoying the build to Page and Punk. My Joker predictions for next week, Claudio Castagnoli and Maki Ito.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Okay. Maki Ito, I think, would work. It would be a good way to return. And, I mean, she's somebody who could afford a loss. Claudio Castagnoli, I mean, I think would have to go on to win. and That'd be uh, great. Like, you yeah. could do
2: that, and you could go back to a TV title match down the road with, with Joe. Um, I, if it was Claudio, I, I agree. I think he has to win that match. And you've kind of set it up where Joe, he can take a loss in in this tournament.
0: Mm-hmm. We got uh, uh, Eric from Barry who says, Excellent show. My match of the night was Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter. Yeah, okay, interesting. There you go. Took the crowd a bit, but they seem to have got into it. That spike piledriver at the end looked brutal. Part of me wishes they kept Hook away from Danhausen and kept him on a serious run. Despite this, I still find it entertaining and it will lead to a great heel run for Hook.
2: A Heel run for Hook. All right. Uh, Next is Patrick who writes pretty wild show from top to bottom with every match feeling like it deserved its spot on the show and every segment feeling important. All three Owen matches delivered in different ways and I think Tony continues to shine in AEW uh, from her matches on Dynamite referring to Tony Storm. Um, The main event was insane and while some may cringe at the spots I don't think Darby versus Jeff in a regular wrestling match would have been as special. The dark side of the ring parody gave off big vibes from the Cody Jericho feud from the early days of AEW in the best way and this MJF Wardlow program is firing on all cylinders I'm also assuming we're getting five on five at Double or Nothing with Jericho Appreciation Society and uh, Danielson, Moxley, Santana, Ortiz, and Eddie. With the men's Joker being confirmed to not be lethal or Satnam Singh, any guesses as to who it will be? Cesaro, Miro, or a New Japan talent seem to be the favorites.
0: Could be anybody. Could be, um... Hmm.
2: The New Japan idea hasn't really been thrown out there, but it does... Like line up with uh, several New Japan stars that are coming over for Capital Collision on the weekend and are not on the best of the Super Juniors tour. So you could certainly have uh, a New Japan guy stick around and and do Dynamite next week, even if it's not in the tournament. Like they in theory uh, could be available. Yeah, who? Uh, well, it it, uh, it it would not be illogical just getting thrown in there. Um, but you uh, have, I mean, uh, Yujiro isn't coming over for that. Tanahashi coming over.
0: Who's the biggest joker? No, it's got to be Taguchi. He's uh, hilarious.
2: Oh, no, it's got to be Ano then. Uh. Let, let, let me just look at who, who is coming over here from uh, of note. So you've got uh, Okada, Jay White, Tomohiro Ishii, Minoru Suzuki, uh, Osprey and Juice Robinson against Tanahashi and Moxley. So this is a fair bit here. I, I personally, I, I really like the Cesaro option. I know Miro's out there too. Like that's a that's a fine way to reintroduce yeah. him. But I I think Cesaro would be um, that'd be a great debut for him to come in and win.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, we got a Jomo who says I thought the matches were a bit slow outside of the main event. I think the lack of tag matches made <laughs> this think-
2: guy is just uh just wants uh, carnage.
0: Uh, maybe yeah, maybe. Uh, he says, I think the lack of tag matches made things feel slower than usual, but it looks like I'm in the minority on that one. From the way they dress to even the way they stand, the Jericho Appreciation Society are just pure douche. I love it. Good to see Regal get some revenge for Jericho peeing in his tea. There's nothing I could say that can enhance how amazing that MJF Dark Side of the Ring was. I just want to petition for making Sean Spears MJF's permanent second like Arn to Rick. Those two are gold together. They are very good together, yes.
2: Jay from Colorado, catching up late because I've rewatched the Dark Side of the Ring parody five times. The entire show has been excellent, but damn, that segment was really good. Bringing in Barry Horowitz was the icing on the cake. Fantastic lead in to the contract signing.
0: We go to Muggin, who says, in terms of atmosphere, Long Island is officially the Canada of New York as the city brought the thunder and they know how to hold grudges. Punk wearing an Islanders jersey with no music and his entrance was brilliant. Cole Hardwood was a great opener. Storm hater as well. The Dark Side of the Ring parody was amusing as the Wardlow Friedman saga puts the former where Cody was a little over two years ago. The Jericho 269 was pretty weak, but the BCC and Proud and Powerful collaboration was anything but.
2: All right. And the last one is from Kate in Montreal. An outstanding two hours, especially the first, which was one of the best 60-minute blocks of wrestling television in years. The Long Island crowds are awesome, even by AEW standards, because they understand full well that they are there to play a role that exists nowhere else. The Dark Side of the Ring parody was one of my favorite segments ever. The attention to detail was remarkable, and I could not stop laughing. They did a very, uh, a tremendous job with that, and parody can be very difficult uh, sometimes. Like, you have to really nail it, and I thought they did in that instance.
0: You have to know your audience, too, In this certain, I mean, it's it, to me, it shows you how how much of an impact dark side of the ring has had to the hardcore audience to the port where now they do something like that and everybody gets it and the music as well was really perfect too for for that particular thing um, i believe we have one super chat that i might have missed earlier so if you just give me a second here i should be able to scroll up okay all right, here we go. From DJ Depression who sends $5. Thank you for the super chat, DJ. He says, "Do you think it's a little irresponsible of AEW to have okayed that Darby spot?" Darby is one of my favorites, but somebody should have told him no.
2: I mean, you you can you can argue about like how how far you let these guys go and, you know, they like they, there seem to be very very few limitations on how far it goes. Like these are, you know, it's that that's the balance of what you're doing and when you're booking a match like this this is the kind of ideas that are going to be presented and yeah you have to really kind of uh assess like the danger versus the value of uh, a spot like that that you're off by just the slightest a bit and you know he comes down on what one of the backs of those chairs or something or just lands it as is i mean that's still falling from an incredible height but uh, unfortunately, the bar has been raised very high, and I, I I don't see them necessarily pulling back.
0: Yeah, I mean, the expectation was for them to do something crazy tonight. Um, they did. They both did. They they, they both did more than uh, lived up to to that expectation. I think at this point, you you know, if you're Tony Khan, you have a certain level of trust for your performers to take care of themselves, and um, they you know, he was probably he was probably like. On the edge of his seat, like, hoping that he wasn't about to have a disaster on his hands on TV, too. And I would love to know what the conversation was with, you know, between Tony and Darby backstage. I'm sure it was a lot of gratitude. But is there also concern? Because I think we all know the stories of, like, you know, TLC and, like, Vince McMahon. uh you know, like obviously ha- very happy about the outcome, but also being incredibly concerned about the uh, the, the, the LSL, you know, and, and like what we know been said to, to Foley after afterwards, like a lot of concern for their performance, because as much as as much as I think we appreciate the spectacle, the potential disaster that could take place on TV is not worth any of that. So, um, I, you know, we, we have to continue to, to ask these questions, but. Yeah, maybe you know. Like, thankfully, they both seem to walk away pretty well tonight. Uh, we have one more piece of feedback here from Hansi, who says Sheeta injured on Rampage, out of tourney, apparently. So this is something that they discussed. They brought up
2: on commentary tonight, and they mentioned, yeah, an injury to Sheeta and she could be out of the the tournament. So that was that was actually mentioned on on the broadcast that we uh, we glossed,
0: but we don't know for sure yet at
2: this point. I guess not because um, the way I understood it, it was um, they didn't say it definitively.
0: Yeah. So, unless uh, Hanzi, you got some more updated information than we did. Um, yeah. At
2: the start of the Jamie Hader Tony Storm uh, match, this is from John Cena's report. Commentary mentions how a Rushida's injury could take her out of the tournament, but we will find out more about that soon.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so. Uh,
2: and that might be legit. Like they may not know what, uh, what her status is. So, we will uh, uh, keep people updated on that as well. Okay, that's going to bring an end to Rewind to Dynamite, a pretty noteworthy edition of the show. Uh, but Way will be back on Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern Time with Kate from Montreal to go through all the latest news. Uh, plenty going on. And then Thursday as well, the British Wrestling Experience is going to be dropping with Benno, Andy Ogden, and Martin Bushby going through all the latest news. Uh, wrestling news from the British wrestling scene. Uh, Benno just went to the, for the love of wrestling convention. So he will provide a live correspondent report of his, uh, his trip to that convention and much more uh, coming up on Thursday. And then I will be back on Friday for the new show and rewind to Smackdown at a special start time of 10 PM Eastern. As we go through Smackdown and uh, AEW afternoon rampage.
0: D- d- sure. Early evening rampage. Uh ramp a, a rampage for supper
2: perfect what a what a perfect mix uh to, to have so way loves eating while writing notes for AEW. it's a it's a perfect combination how did dinner go tonight
0: well not very good with this canker sore so i mean Ooh. i i didn't make that mistake and i did try to eat before cold foods um no nothing acidic
2: Dude, yeah. use a uh, uh, salt and warm water. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's the worst. It's, it's dude, I terrible. would seriously
2: consider doing the Darby Allen bump before I would accept the Canker Sword. They are the goddamn worst. <laughs> they the worst in the world.
0: They're the uh, worst. Yes, please, okay, uh, forget well. Darby Allen, everybody.
2: Please, I'm you know, way. Send your one. thoughts to me. Yes, uh, keep keep way uh, in your thoughts. That's <laughs> gonna wrap things up, everybody. Uh, you can go to postwrestling.com, subscribe to the channel here. It gets the, the word circulating, and then all of a sudden people are realizing, who the hell are these guys? Well, that's you, the messengers out there. That is it for us. Thanks for watching Rewind to Dynamite.